0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Mass Construction Show with today's guest, Jeff Langlois, Senior Project Manager at Simpson, Gumperts & Hager, where Jeff specializes in structural engineering of wood buildings. I'm your host, Joe Kelly, and this is the podcast about all things construction in Massachusetts and beyond. Today's part one of our sit down with Jeff, where we discuss challenges, intricacies, and benefits of designing with wood. We discuss in-situ grading of existing structures and adaptive reuse. We also dig into wood piles which are typically in our older housing stock in certain Boston neighborhoods. We cover the Groundwater Trust and their work to restore the water table and how to remedy the situation of damaged piles through the process of underpinning. Enjoy the show. Hey Jeff, welcome to Mass Construction Show. Hey Jeff. Um, Jeff, it's funny. I guess your default title would be a structural engineer. Um but you're a little bit more unique. most people when they think a structural engineer, probably think of someone design designing steel beams, connections, maybe concrete with rebar. When they think structural on the wood side, think more residential. you don't really think as much on commercial wood, but um, so you know who do you work for what um, what do you what do you do? I know you're a structural engineer, but what yeah. why are you a little more unique?
1: Well, I am a structural engineer, so I am familiar with steel and concrete construction, and that's, that's the bread and butter of everyday uh, commercial projects. But um, I actually got my master's degree in wood science and timber engineering. And because of that, I got a chance to work on a lot of unique projects um, where owners and clients and architects, developers are are interfacing with timber and in my case i i came out of school in the early 2000s and the um, project typology out there uh, for timber was mostly adaptive reuse and renovation mm-hmm. um, so in massachusetts we have, a, we have a big building stock of old, old mill buildings churches uh, row houses in the back bay and south End, and all of them are timber framed um, mm-hmm. because that time period of the Uh, late 19th early 20th century that's how we built Mm. um and so although i am a you know i'm I'm a buildings guy so i do deal with all the materials i i know enough about um masonry Uh, i know quite a bit about steel and concrete but i know a lot about timber Mm. um and timber's a little different because it's beyond just structural mechanics and building codes and 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 planning um there's a there's an element of of material science there that's unique and mm. it's also um you got to know a little bit about biology too because wood comes from tree it's a natural yeah. occurring material um and so there's some challenges um, in dealing with wood that you know until recently we're seeing a little bit of a renaissance now but uh 20 years ago there wasn't a lot of uh timber outside of the single family market as you alluded to yeah. which generally you don't need an engineer for right a house right. is a house, and. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, per the building code you don't even need an architect stamp on a set of drawings right. for a okay. one or two family
1: but you're still you're seeing more of that now interestingly um, it is popping up a little bit and I'm getting calls from architects who have building officials say hey I got an LVL going in the living room and the guy's not comfortable with it can you write me a letter and look at it you know so that's that's interesting um, but um, yeah in general I think the uniqueness of timber um, in that it's it's a, like I said it's a naturally occurring material it's also anti Anisotropic, right? So the anisotropy is because it's a organic cell uh, material; it reacts differently to how it's loaded in different directions. So it's really strong and along mm-hmm. the grain of the wood, but then cross grain, and there's different uh, ways it behaves under loading that make it unique. Okay. Um,
0: yeah. So I w- like I do want to. That's kind of where I want to go next. Um, but for the most part, your you're a structural engineer that specializes in wood um will you do do you do you do both do you do you, do you do would you do a steel frame building would sure. you yeah sure. okay yeah and absolutely okay. i mean there's not hopefully enough. one
1: day i i'm not you know we're mm-hmm. doing uh, all timber buildings but for now uh certainly and, and some we you know we need steel and concrete let's face it uh, yeah. oh yeah there's big industrial buildings out there that it's just not gonna work for there's infrastructure um you know, I kind of use the electric car analogy, right? You can, you can, versus a fossil fuel, right? You're not gonna, you're not going fly an airplane with a battery, right? Right, but you yep. can get to work on one. Same right. thing with timber. You know, you're not gonna build a, a bridge across the harbor out of timber, but you can certainly build, you know, four, eight, twelve-story structures out of out of wood. Right. Um, and so that's kind of the pick your battles, right? We're not making wood foundations. And we're not using, um, you know. Forty-foot wood cantilevers. Let's mm-hmm. face it; there's, there's a place for and a need for steel and, and concrete, and there always will be.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Even some of the mass timber stuff that's going up now—it's sure. composite, right? Exactly. Where they yep. need concrete for—it's pro- they all have different properties, right? And then exactly, y- yeah, you find the right—it has to be the right tool for the job, right? You know, it's exactly. Like, a wrench works great for. <laughs> tightening bolts it doesn't work great for banging nails you probably could do it but you know you have to find the right place for the product yep but because of just volume of work your specialties would, but you really end up doing
1: yeah n- i'd say probably 75 25 so three quarters of what i do is revol- revolves around timber and oh, know, okay, actually other heavy, wood huh? building materials and then 25 percent of it is still you know size and rebars and beams and but generally you know there's people out there that know a lot more about those materials than me so mm-hmm. my niche tends to lead me towards um the, the, the projects that that need someone that understands
0: okay so now to go down that line you started to go which is what is different for a lot of reasons you were uh explaining them a lot better than i would but i just look at it from the perspective where i know um you know you're going into an older building and you're trying to figure out you know you know what a W eight by twenty can handle for a load, but a two by eight. Well, that depends. What's the species? When was it built? Is it a true two by eight or a or, sure. or, or like is it old growth? Is it you know? There's a lot more factors that go in there. Like, how do you adjust for that? Like, yeah, that uniqueness that you started to even allude to with. The fact that that word that I'm not, you said ana uh,
1: anisotropy, right? It, it behaves differently in different directions relative to the orientation of the wood cells, right? right. So the um, simplest analogy, like parallel to grain stress, it's very strong. Perp- perpendicular to grain, is very soft. Right? That's one um, kind of the most, probably most globally understood characteristics of wood. But it's mm-hmm. also... Um, you know it's, it's a hygroscopic material too so it takes on water it moves a lot it, it can biodegrade um mm-hmm. you know nature's recycling mechanism yeah supposed would <laughs> be buried in trees if we didn't have you know microbiology that yeah <laughs> breaks it down, breaks and, it and, down makes it soil and puts it and, back in yep. soil. but uh back to like what you're getting at with the existing um construction and um, so one of the great opportunities I had getting out of school was I got to work for a guy named Phil Westover, and Phil Westover was a wood technologist trained at, at UMass by by uh, Hoadley, who who's so he's a really good technologist in that he can take a slice of a you know piece of wood material, put it on the microscope, and tell you what it is. He also knows how to grade timber, and um, so and, and he was a structural engineer trained at MIT. So I got the opportunity to work under Phil and. For probably five years, we did a ton of work doing load rating for mill building floors. Um, Developers were buying up mills in the Merrimack Valley and wanting to convert them to condos or mixed use with retail. And so we'd walk into these massive, um, turn of the last century, historic Mm -hmm. buildings that had been abandoned for 10, 20, sometimes 30 years. And not only is the material a mystery, but the condition of the material, right? So you walk Mm -hmm. in and gee, the roof, the roof leader here leaked for 10 years, so the wood's all rotten here, so we got to let them know that this isn't good or it should be checked out further. Yeah. The other level for the sound material in there is walking around and saying, okay, what, what are these pieces grayed out at? And that, and we use a, a standard, it's an ASTM standard, for to visually grade timber uh, in situ, which is a little different than what the, the, the standard uh, was intended to do, which is mm-hmm. kind of to grade it off the line and send it out in the field. Well, none of this material... Has yeah. grade stamps on it, right? And and it's already built with, right? Yeah. So we we kind of got a reputation for being able to go in and say, look, this is a really strong material if it's sound. So we gotta we gotta isolate the areas that need repair that have been damaged by water or some or fire. But once those are gone, we have a huge stock of old growth, clear, straight beams in this building that can support a lot more than you need for a residential or or an office space, right? Mm. Because
0: um, factory wide, the dead load was pro- and dead load and live load between the equipment and probably material coming in and out, it probably had a pretty intense...
1: Sure. Um, if you think of the foot traffic in those buildings, we I mean, had hundreds if not thousands of workers going up and down the stairs. And, yep, uh, probably good-sized machines that have, were,
0: sure. were all... St- there was nothing made out of plastic at the time, right? It's probably heavy steel equipment right. everywhere Absolutely. and sized accordingly, yeah. right? Yeah.
1: And so um, what we found was... Other people who are less comfortable with wood, as engineers or architects, they would Mm -hmm. open up a a modern day code and say, well, this is, I think it's a pine, right? They didn't do a species ID. They right, conservatively, what grows around here? Well, it's white pine or it's spruce. Mm -hmm. And if I look in my manual today, I get something around, we'll call it a thousand PSI for bending strength. Well, if you grade out a stick and you find out that it's southern pine and it's old southern pine, you might be double that or three times that. Mm. So... By hiring a consultant to go out and, and grade the timber and do the floor loading, uh, floor rating exercise for you, you're able to save on maybe heavy handed interventions that weren't necessary um, yeah. because of the conservative assumptions with, with uh, the material by people who were, were not so savvy.
0: Yeah. No, it makes sense because also they're protecting themselves, right? They're not familiar with it, so they're just uh, going to default to the safest method. Now, I mean, to me, it seems like it could be as much art as science. Um, when it comes to grading sure um, can you just talk through what you know what are you looking for are you looking for species are you looking for how tight the grain is what like what are some of the things you look for when you would go out and do a do an evaluation on an existing yeah. conditions kind of survey
1: so the first step is definitely species you gotta, you gotta get a piece it's slightly destructive you usually try to take a small sliver the size of your thumb or something mm-hmm. um, from a structurally unimportant part of the building and you you hire someone like Phil Westover. I'm not an anatomist guy. I took it mm-hmm. in college. It didn't stick. I don't, yeah. I don't like spending my time under a microscope. I'm happier crunching numbers or walking around a construction site than I am.
0: Call uh, Phil. I got yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Call yeah, Phil. Right? Yeah. So, and there's a, there's, a,
1: there's a lot. of there's, well, there's not a lot. There's a few people around who, who can do it and, um, and and do it competently. But certainly species is, is step one.
0: Now, somebody like yourself and Phil, is there a comfort level where – you can walk out and you'd be like, Okay, that's ash.
1: Um, more <laughs> so Phil. <laughs> For, I, I could say it's hardwood, it probably ash. I mean i I probably am eighty percent. Softwoods I'm much better at than than hardwoods.
0: Okay.
1: Um but the good news is most of the, the material in structures here is softwood. It's a pine or fir or a spruce. Um but interestingly, what I didn't know until I, I moved to Boston and started working is so a lot of the heavy timber is from the south. Um almost everything between you know, 1850 and, and 1920 is hmm. is Southern pine, and it's it's a beautiful material. Uh, it was old growth, you know, almost clear knots, and hmm. mostly straight grain. So that that's getting into like the kind of the nuances of what we're looking at for grading. Yeah. Right, first we're looking okay. at the, the species, then the size, and the advantage of grading as a structural engineer is like we know where the stress points are in the piece right so if we have a, like
0: you mean like knots and things. exactly okay, no, so we no. know
1: that a knot out in the outer third of a simply supported beam isn't going to matter much because there's not a lot of tension there right um, and that's how in compression the knots are they don't hurt you but in tension they can okay. so understanding how the how the yeah. beam responds to loading it gives us a, a leg up i think and we're able to kind of focus on the areas that are going to be strength degraded by naturally occurring growth characteristics
0: Okay. Uh, so I want you to keep going with the, the logic or the path that you take, but just out of my own curiosity. So, you know, it seems like everybody knows concrete is great in compression, lousy in tension. Is there a kind of good rule
1: of thumb with wood? Uh, yeah, keep knots out of the tension zone. Okay. Um, yeah. but it's, is it pretty it, equal it, compression and you know, well, tension? So or? wood's very good uh, parallel to grain in tension. But perpendicular to grain in tension, it's very weak. And so soft. that's where it gets the direction. So that's on where that's and... where the anisotropy comes mm-hmm. in, right? So you understanding, you know, and, and it's rare for a, a, a piece of um, wood in historic construction to, to see cross grain tension, unless it's made by a connection or, or some other. Um, you know, they're hanging a piece of equipment off it with bolts down the middle or something mm. interesting. But generally, you're clear of that unless it's. Um, Unless well, it's a special condition, In odd but, condition, but right? Okay. But certainly, with, with the newer construction now, it's a consideration, like mass timber buildings, how they behave. Hmm. Um, I think we'll touch on that later. But yeah. um, that's um, it's something that, that's important to understand. Okay. Um, it's, it's that it does behave differently.
0: All right. So we're looking at species,
1: size, um, size and location of knots. Right. Yep. Where are they? So the other the other you know kind of liberty we're taking is we only typically we're only seeing three sides of a beam. Right, because the top side is Just covered by floor, yep. so you don't have the. But that doesn't really matter because again, if we if we can identify all the strength reducing characteristics that we're concerned with, the top face is generally going to be in compression and in a in a bending member, so that we don't need to see the knots up there. Mm-hmm. So we see the the important stuff underneath that has to be exposed and, and rarely visible. That's an, that can be a challenge too. Yeah, um, and so. I think the most important thing a lot of times that's going to control strength is the slope of grain. And what that is, that's um, the angle of the natural growth cells of the wood relative to how the beam was cut. And so sometimes they may have optimized with a slight bias to to recover the most, the biggest member they could out of the tree. And Mm -hmm. so you'll have an inherent slope of grain that's a result of the manufacturing. Sometimes it was how the tree grew. Was it some stressful condition um, in the tree's environment that caused it to, to twist or mm. or grow crookedly where it was competing for light um, around another tree? tree yeah, yeah. So it's really, and we have the benefit of being able to see that clearly now because the wood is dry. That's another big thing. I mean, presumably if the woods lasted 100 years, it'd stay dry, unless right. it's a pile in the ground and soaking wet, but mm-hmm. that's different. Yep. Um, so I wanna too, yeah. want to go there, too. <laughs> yeah, 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 So, uh, But certainly being able to see the slope of grain and characterize it um, is really kind of the, the art and, and being able to walk through and train your eye, right? Like I mm-hmm. look up, and the first time you know, I train young engineers how to grade wood, and I'll say, take a guess and then go up and measure it and see how you did and keep doing that. And eventually, you're going to be able to say that slope is a one in six, or that's a one in fifteen, and you'll start to do it. But I mean, it was literally, you know, days of my life staring at the underside of mill floors, um, figuring this out, and and going through the, you know, the mentor mentoring that was available to me, predominantly through with Phil. It's
0: funny. I'd love to. Is there any? Um, is there a good? And I'm assuming I can just Google and probably find this out. I'd love to share. Just is there a good photo out there in the marketplace? You'd be like, hey, here's grain of wood. This would be oh, grain. absolutely. i got a ton of them, yeah. Slope of grain. So somebody sure. that... Because you're explaining that to me. And yeah. I, I think I get it. But right. the reality is I probably don't completely get it.
1: Yeah. So I would love to kind of even share that with folks. So. And it's different than than, than, the, than the growth ring. So when you look at... Um, you may see figure on the side of a, of a timber. And you think, you know, what you're seeing is the actual early wood and late wood um, parts of the of the growth ring cut at a bias. That's very different than the, the grain soap. But what's again, what's nice is that it's the checking of the wood, the the mic, the cracks that occur as the shrink as the timber wood dries shrink out. that show you the grain. And that's not you can't really see that when it comes out of the mill because a lot of this stuff was was you know, sawed and delivered green and, and dried mm. in situ, in service.
0: Okay. Now how about, um, you know, uh, um, I don't have a tremendous amount of knowledge, but you have old growth, new growth, and you look at an old piece of timber and you see these super tight rings, right? Sure. Um, and then you see modern timber and there's like... Yeah. A, a, this gigantic ring. Like, how, Yeah. What's happening there? Are they, is it like a, version of a gmo tree is it wh- wh- you know what's what's contributing why would a timber in 1920 look one way and uh a timber in yeah. 2020 look something different
1: yeah i think it's basically availability um obviously it wasn't alive back then but it seems like everything with getting cut down was was mature probably had a real mature stand mm-hmm. um grew really slow that's what you're seeing with those rings every every rings a year Mm -hmm. and it probably was in the stand of other competing big old growth trees and it just it it had a slow growth period and and the density you mentioned um that's really a factor of how much did it grow in the spring and how much did it grow in the in the late summer fall Right, so, they call that every growth ring has a light and a dark portion to it, right? Okay, so the, the early wood or the spring wood, as old timers call it, um, is the light portion, and that's where the tree grew a little faster because the days are long, like like the like yeah, now, okay. some of the uh, longest days of the year. Whereas in the and it's the angle of the sun, too, depending on where you are on the planet, where your tree's growing. Yeah, but certainly, uh, in the fall, the, the, the trees grow denser and slower so that's how you see that That every year you see that dark and light band that comprises the interesting. The growth I had rate. no idea Yeah.
0: All right. so it's really is it a matter of the way they're doing the forestry
1: like are they spacing it so they're not competing and that way they can well, grow yeah. faster or is yeah that, well it's not you know waiting two or three hundred years to harvest a tree isn't economic right so that's kind of gone by the wayside so right. that's why we don't see these beautiful you know 8 by 16 um, 20 foot long 25 foot long timbers like we have in a lot of mill buildings in lowell and lawrence and down you. here um but there's still slow growth timber um going on like in fact the um uh, the oliver building the umass building mm-hmm. that was um supplied by nordique and they have a, a smaller tree but it still grows very slow so you might mm-hmm. have a tree that's um six to eight inches in diameter but that tree is probably 40 years old so they really tight growth rings as well it's just a smaller version is that's because that's a Function of where it grows, which is way up north, they have a really short grow season. Uh,
0: um, okay, that right? makes sense, so, right? Yeah. Um,
1: but it's really, you know, the, the the shift in in the fibers in the fiber availability is really just a it's economics. I mean, people want to recover fast in their investment in planting, um, so yeah, it's, it's advantageous to space them and grow them in a way that, that they get a lot of fiber quick, hmm. um, and sometimes. That that can be detrimental because we're we may have established some building practices based on stronger, stiffer material, yep. and all of a sudden you're you're putting in stuff that grew faster, and there's there's more defects, and maybe there's a lot of juvenile wood at the pith of the tree, the middle part of the tree. That's a slightly um, weaker, less stable um, part of the the wood material. So yep. if you have a, a four by four, and you know it's a three by three true dimension, and the middle Two inches of it is all juvenile okay. wood. You've got pretty, pretty weak, pretty soft piece, right? Right. Hopefully, it goes to a fence post and not a, not a, not, not a floor holding beam. up yeah. a three story deck. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. Now, sorry. So, uh, I found all this stuff interesting. There might be somebody completely saying, All right, we're going to stop talking about fucking tree rings, <laughs> but not yet. So, hold tight. Um, so, mm. is it that. This is rare that people want to hear about this. <laughs> so I, I, I'm glad. We'll find out. If People are <laughs> saying never. <laughs> Never do that again? Well, lesson learned. Um, but So does that mean the first years of growth, even like on an old growth tree, those rings w- were bigger?
1: So that's actually the the newest part of the tree. So even on an old growth tree, the oldest part is still the middle. Uh, sorry, the, the youngest part is still the middle. Right. but right?
0: So the center of those rings, if you had a 100-year-old tree from 1920 or whatever, you're going to have those big, wider rings in the beginning. And as it gets older, this would they get smaller
1: no no No? i think you'd probably see pretty uniform you might see a little i mean i haven't looked at a ton of whole tree sections but um certainly the it would still be growing quite slow even in the middle okay um just because again whatever the the space environmental constraints or um, whatever's going on with that i mean it's it's hard to push out more material out of the ground when you're you think about a you know an ancient dug fur or a big Sitka spruce sticking out of the ground. I mean, it's, it's just, it's more work to, to move that material through photosynthesis. Mm. So, um, it's not surprising that, uh, everything happens a lot slower when lot you get on that time. scale.
0: Got it. Um, when you break down, you said it's probably 75, 25, but of that, of what you're doing for wood design mm-hmm. is the vast majority of that. Um, Existing,
1: um, yeah, renovations, it is actually, right? Yeah, that's kind of my niche is uh, is doing adaptive reuse and, and renovating buildings, trying trying to prolong. You know, I take a personal interest in sustainability and mm-hmm. um, you know green construction back before it was cool, actually. And yeah. back in the nineties, uh, a lot of my my friends and colleagues at at Oregon State were studying um, embodied energy and life cycle assessment of timber products. Hmm. And at the time, forestry wasn't really cool. It was still had it was a kind of a smokestack dying industry. You know, mm-hmm. spotted owl had given it quite a black eye in the part of Oregon I was going to grad school in. And um, you know, it, it was it was time to dig out. And so I started to understand well, what renewability means, what embodied energy means, what the whole cradle to grave uh, assessment of how we construct and build impacts are resources and, and future generations what's available to them so but ultimately there's nothing more sustainable than trying to not build new right if we can use yeah. our current environment limit the amount of new material we're putting in to bring it up to code to keep a safe building keep mm. it fire safe and comfortable for the occupants without having to tear it down um that's been kind of my focus but yeah uh, no it's the ultimate right, right. Uh, yeah yeah
0: um in, I mean landfills are have a tremendous issue I actually shared something on Instagram where there's a really good study that the mass deP did looking at like what's left for capacity in all these landfills and you start looking at the dates of when they become full yeah it's real soon it's coming it, it, right it, it's it's frightening <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: and so I think to date we've just been able to kind of yeah 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 we'll we'll get to it we'll get to it but we're hitting pretty close to critical mass where okay, yeah, we can, when you, because they looked at like Massachusetts landfills and then like kind of like rings around how far and you start having to now haul your trash come the 2020s, you know, now you're driving it to the Midwest or something. So what does it cost to get a dumpster there versus bringing it local? And I think, so not only are we not going to have the capacity, but then you just start looking at that price goes up, up, up that starts making the economics flip where like, all right, reusing becomes even more important. Not only is it the right thing to do to begin with, now it starts becoming cost effective. So I think yeah, that helps. I think that will kind of almost force our hand to try and address it. But I mean, anything we can do now, it's, yeah, that's fantastic. And good design can
1: mean that you can save that, right? Sure, sure. And, and kind of, you know, efficiently reusing timber is kind of, what I like to hang my hat on for uh, um, being able to help a project with, uh, without going in with some intervention with heavy steel reinforcement or something else, like Mm -hmm. really maximizing, like understanding how that wood's going to see load and how, you know, what is the true strength of that piece based on its species and it's grade and, and doing it, using it in a safe and and reliable manner um, that eliminates kind of ripping it out and starting over.
0: Yeah. Um, How about, you alluded to it earlier. Wood piles, right? How sure. often? I mean, we have a large number of buildings in Boston on wood piles. Um, has that kind of stabilized now that they look at like they're recharging more groundwater? Because it became quite an issue for a while. Absolutely.
1: Right? Yeah, that was, it was a big deal when I when I first moved to Boston around two thousand two. Um, Could you maybe even explain to people
0: what what happens? Yeah. So.
1: Because of a great a lot of um, the Back Bay and some of the South End is all reclaimed land, right? So that was once all um, swamp and marsh, the part of the Charles River Basin mm-hmm. that they backfilled with whatever they could. Frankly, um, yeah, it's, er- it's not sound bearing material. You can't just go in and start setting stones down. Your building's going to go for a ride in, mm-hmm. into the into the ground. So um, a lot of these buildings is a huge stock. If you just drive up Storrow Drive, there's probably about Ten million dollars worth of real estate sitting on untreated timber piles, where they just basically took the tops of trees, um, pounded them into the ground down to the the virgin soil beneath the fill, yep. and then built up from that. And the concept was, which we, you know, the builders here learned from Europe, was that those piles will last a long time if you completely submerge them below the groundwater, right? And that limits the oxygen. For wood to rot, you need four things: you need food, which is the wood; you need oxygen; you need water; and you need the right temperature. So, water and temperature you don't have much control over, but mm-hmm. oxygen you can control by submerging it. And so, by submerging the piles um, and building up out of the water, you've you made it. You know, you've done your diligence to preserve them. What happened was we started paving roads. Uh, we started digging sewer outflows that may, may be leaked. And, you know, we, our built environment affected the groundwater and it started to drop below the tops of the piles. Well, as soon as you lose your submergence, you've got oxygen now. And right. that's when the rot starts to take place. Yeah. And there was a lot of unhappy building owners with unreinforced masonry buildings that do not like to move. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they're not, you know, ductile buildings. They're, they're quite... Susceptible to crack it, and yeah. and they're heavy, right? Yeah. So, um, there was a lot of uh, a lot of problems arose from that. Mm-hmm. But you're right; the groundwater trust has done a great job of um, putting observation wells throughout town. And um, I'd say that it's it's less of a concern for for new damage to to just all of a sudden appear like you you just wake up and your door doesn't shut anymore. But mm-hmm. um, reusing those buildings can be tricky because if you start moving load around, right? You want to rip say you want to rip mm-hmm. out. 30 feet of a brick bearing wall in the basement of a, a Newbury Street retail space. Well, now you're collecting all that load and you're
0: transferring, you're, transferring,
1: you're, you're making point loads on the on the wood pile foundation. So you, there's still some um, heartache, if you will, for developers trying to Modify,
0: modernize their buildings
1: yeah. and then realize like, oh, well, I've got you know 150-year-old untreated spruce in the mud down here. Um, I got to dig a hole to look at it so that I can convince myself that it, it has the capacity to, to hold up what we're trying to do, because just because it hasn't moved doesn't mean it's in great shape and can take a lot more load, mm. right? So, um, and it's it's not cheap. I mean, digging a hole to look at piles and pumping water out and getting guys in there in a busy urban environment, it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a painful expense for... Yeah, uh,
0: I, I wanna go into detail on that um, about what underpinning looks like, because that's what we're talking about. Once mm-hmm. you, uh, well, you'll do the review first, but then you, if you sure. have an issue, you're going to be doing underpinning. Um, but I'm going to try and, in layman's terms, just give a thirty thousand foot ass- assessment and correct me where I'm wrong. So the pile is fine as long as the water table stays relatively consistent, correct. right? Yeah. If you it, it can go down a little bit and come back up, but it stays in that zone, and you might get a little exposure. But once it gets reburied in in, this, in tight windows, you're you're okay. So if you're in the floating in a little zone, water table pretty consistent, you are right. Water table drops three feet and stays there because of we're now putting in sewers and pavement to push all the water out into the street and then into the sewer. Water table starts progressively dropping, becomes a problem kind of universally in areas, right?
1: Sure.
0: Groundwater Trust was put in place to say, okay, we need to recharge the water. We need to start putting water back into the soil to get the table up, right? They put You'll see those, they're usually spray-painted silver, the little plates, little caps all around the city, they're little wells. Um, So now when you go to build in the south end, you just can't run your gutters into the sewers. You have to
1: put like...
0: Recharge, put... And it's basically just crushed stone in the ground, in a yep. container and get that water from your There's roof and it perk back down and yep. get yep. under the ground that has kind of stabilized right. the so, situation in Boston
1: right we're not really we're not dropping the water table anymore because we're very cognizant of the effects of that on the, on the pile system yeah
0: so that's like the big picture of where we're at now you still and I'm still seeing I even saw you know five years ago there are still buildings that have problems sure right so You've got a slab you have piles that are rotting you don't know which ones what's the next step
1: you got to dig a expensive smelly hole most of the time and get eyes on what's going on and understand wh- where's the pile cut off right these buildings you don't know where the top of the pile is <laughs> you know most there's certain neighborhoods in the back bay that you can probably assume like these guys knew so they cut it off at a certain elevation um, but you, you never know until you get down there. And then it's okay how far down until we have um, sound wood, right? Is it is we're we cutting out two feet of pile? We're cutting out three feet? And it's really um, brute force labor. I mean, there's no yeah. clean way to do it, unfortunately. You're just down there. You're, you're often hand digging because you're inside the building, mm-hmm. right? And you, you can't get equipment down there. You can you don't want to dig from outside because then you lose a whole story most of the buildings have a basement at least so that gives you a 10 to 12 foot advantage so um you're digging down you're you're finding sound wood i always try to to load test one Build, building owners hmm. don't always want to pay for it but if you're gonna reuse the sound part of the timber that's down below the groundwater you should always try to push off it if you're lucky enough to have a heavy building that you can actually put jacks against I was just about to ask, down. how do you do it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. so there's a couple of ways to do it. You either have to push off the building or you have to grab adjacent piles that you're convinced have the tension capacity to, to push down on the, the middle one.
0: Hmm.
1: So okay. it's, uh, it's a tricky task, but it's it's always a good place. If you're going to spend the money to go down and do the assessment, do the underpinning, you, you should definitely try to do a load test too just to convince yourself that, you know, this is this is a sound repair that we don't have to we don't have a global problem with bearing at the tip too mm. right.
0: So you get down 15 feet, you see you you're witnessing. Okay, this looks like this is solid material here. Right. We want to cut it, but you want then test it. Yeah, if you, ideally that doesn't yeah. always, not always. If they, the resources yeah, for that if or folks the, are willing to do it right. right. And now are you making an assumption that okay if it's 15 feet down is where we're at. It's pretty comfortable that that's going to be the same distance on all the piles that right. have an issue yeah right?
1: generally yeah and you might you might go down another foot for good measure right okay. for, for the groundwater stability yeah always installing wells hopefully you, one of the neighbors or butters has a well around so you, you have a sense out of the gate where the water table is oh um, that's a good point okay. right so you want to know what that's and like you said it's the no longer an issue to have huge fluxes Hmm. um, in groundwater at this point unless something's going on with like storm drains and there's other there's always an exception but in general um you hope you have stable groundwater and you can plan for that accordingly with your underpinning scheme okay but it's really um like just to get back to the whole what the process is you know you're cutting out the rotten part you're putting in a, a steel post between the top of the timber pile that's sound and, and the underside of your, your cap which is usually cast concrete or, or stone
0: there was one to be another one of my questions so those the wood piles have pile caps on them yes yeah even back then they knew enough to oh, yeah. Like, yeah yeah okay all yeah. right um, so steel column like almost like a lally
1: column yeah yeah we we, we use something usually heavier but um, okay we yeah, have very similar the section it doesn't you know and, and then bearing plates top and bottom and then yeah. um, that's the you know that's the brute force way. It's and usually in, in heavier buildings like that, um, helical piles or, or or push piles as they call them. That you'd, you know you supplement on the outside of the building on an option because you're probably you know in the back bay you're you're sharing a wall with two neighbors. Usually mm-hmm. you have a party wall, right? Yeah. so right you don't have access to the other side. Right. Um, and then the front and back usually aren't bearing, so it's usually <laughs> it's a tough tough situation. But yeah. Um, and I've been in. You know some some bigger buildings in the Four Point area that are you know nine ten stories tall, and they actually have uh, metal columns coming down onto pyramid stepped pile caps. And by the time you get down to the bottom of the cap, there may be twenty or twenty five piles under one column. Wow! And so the the expenses is massive. You know? Yeah,
0: and you're right. I mean, having seen enough of them as a building inspector, like you would think that. I mean, it's just primitive. Yeah. Right, you this You think there's got to be a better way to do this, but it's no, not. Think it's about not. a basement in the back bay. You know, like you said, shovels. A lot of times, it's five gallon buckets that they're pulling material out yeah. to throw it in the back of a truck. Oh, no, it's
1: excruciatingly labor intensive. It's yeah,
0: yeah. It's, it's a mess.
1: Yeah, and it's and frankly, at this juncture, it's hard to find people who will do it because there's just so much other work out yeah. there. The, the boom is so strong right now, like. Yeah. Uh, we tried to get a test pit dug last summer on Newbury Street, and it wasn't easy to find someone um, who would do it for a reasonable price. Yeah, I
0: mean, I only know two or three companies. You would see the same ones over and over Pretty again. Pretty much, yeah. Yep. You know, uh, I forget the Irish guy um, that does a lot of them. Oh, Elf, uh,
1: Elf shoot. Alf. Yeah. Yep. yeah, 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 yeah. Yep.
0: Um, you see him quite a bit. Hey everyone, podcast family is growing, and I love it. Um, hang around. Keep an eye out for next week where we go part two and we start talking about everybody's favorite subject mass timber. Can't say how much I appreciate and thank everyone that shares, gives us stars, writes reviews. Uh, you guys are all the best. Love you. Take care. We out. We out. We out. <laughs>